In a world where two duck fans wanted to record a podcast about Oregon duck sports and other stuff, this, this podcast is what they came up with. I know, it's not very good, but it's the best they could do. Anyway, welcome to the flock. It's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you. Without a strong rhyme to step to, think of how many weeks shows you slept through. Time's up, I'm sorry I kept you. Thinking of this, you keep repeating your mess. The rhyme from the microphone solo with. So you sit by the radio and on the dial soon. As you hear it, pump up the volume. Whoa! Welcome, everybody, to the Flock Pod, hashtag 062. We are hanging out here in the condo. You can find us all over the place, every social media platform, and all of those beautiful podcast platforms at the Flock Pod. You can find myself at Coach Justin D on those same beautiful platforms. Shane, tell them where you are. I am at Shane Potter 6 on the Twitter and at WakaFlockaShane6 on the Instagrams. And we'd also like to thank westcoastcfb.com for being one of our lovely partners. And if you're interested in a possible partnership or even jumping on the podcast, please let us know. We'd always love to have another guest, another voice on here, another set of opinions to try to put Shane and I in our place. Oh, yeah. So we're going all the smoke. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun podcast today. Going to jump around a little bit. Definitely going to touch on the uh, Fiesta Bowl. It's going to be kicking off here in a few days. Little round ball coverage. And of course, our lovely producers chiming in whenever they feel necessary. <laughs> the Avatar Your Gang hanging out here with us today. They were telling us we're already behind schedule. Already behind <laughs> schedule. We haven't even started yet, and we are already behind. But that's just the way it goes, you know. Just a little, you know, peek behind the curtain. This is kind of like Shane's eyes, uh, kind of time to catch up a little bit also sure. throughout the week. So we just kind of do a little chit chatting before. And honestly, we probably should just turn the microphone on when you get here because right. that's some of our best content, I think, <laughs> earlier on in the day. But but, um, yeah, no tales from the condo today. We're not going to take the Ryan Rosillo thing and do, like, life advice or anything like that. No, thank you. But, yeah. We want our life advice. Yeah, no, no. I don't think that's a good idea at all. <laughs> um, yeah, like I was mentioning, lots to talk about today. So we're just going to kind of jump right into it. Um, here the Fiesta Bowl kicking off in a few days. Those lovely PS5 is going to be handed out to the players. Well-deserved. Um, Ducks getting a little bit healthier for this game. Talk of CJ Verdell maybe being able to play, which would obviously be a huge lift. Um, mums the word on the quarterback situation. No real new info on that. And, uh, yeah, fun little matchup, little uh, high school rematch here. So, Shane, let's just kind of jump right into this preview. You want to start on the offensive side or the defensive side? Where do you want to go? Uh, for Iowa State, let's let's start offensive. Let's go offense. Yeah, okay, yeah. hit me. So, they're averaging 32.8 points a game, 8-3 uh, on the season with one of those losses, including the uh, Big 12 title game where they lost to Oklahoma. They beat them in the regular season prior. They average 441 yards per contest, 249.1 of those coming in the air, 192 on the ground. That's a, that's a recipe there that uh, we've lost to some teams that also have similar uh, offensive outputs. But doesn't don't Big 12 stats come with just a little bit of an asterisk, you know what I, I mean? I think other conferences say that about the Pac-12. Yeah, probably, which is fair, which <laughs> yeah. is fair. So, I mean, I guess it, I mean, it's an equal matchup in that regard. Okay. Uh, 11.4 passing first downs and 9.7 rushing first downs per game. Uh, the average 5.2 penalties for 44.6 yards, which isn't anything too crazy. Uh, 1.3 turnovers and 1.2 takeaways, so about even in the turnover department for them there as well. Uh, it's it, 
they're a team that doesn't really jump off the paper the page in like any specific way really. Uh, yeah. They do have a good rushing game, good passing game. Um the one thing that I was that did kind of jump off for me a little bit was they have five receivers who average over twelve yards per so when they are catching the ball, there's maybe some yak with that. But wait, do you have any information? I didn't look this up either on their um, air yards. Is anything about that when the, where they're actually catching the ball? Uh, no air yards, but 7.7 <clears throat> yards per pass attempt from quarterback Brock Purdy. Okay, so that gives you a little bit of information right there. That yeah, it is. It's not like a wide receiver pass kind of game necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting. So it'll be it'll definitely put Oregon's defense in those corners in a position where they've got to make a lot of tackles. Yeah, and, and I that's mean, one thing we've really struggled with this season. Five players over 12 yards per reception, so you are spreading the ball around a lot. But their stud receiver Xavier Hutchinson, 60 catches for 726 and four scores. It's a little weird to kind of compare the numbers though between Iowa State and. Oregon was just because they played an entire season. Yeah, just the context of games. I mean, Iowa State played 11 games this year, so it does change the the spectrum just mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, when I was kind of like looking at the stats at first, I was like, these guys killed it. Like, <laughs> uh, Bryce Hall, 245 carries for 1436. And I was like, he ran for four. But I was like, I'm so used to looking at Oregon stats mm-hmm. and what they finished the year with. Well, and Pac-12 stats. You know, I mean, yeah. just the, the other numbers are definitely skewed in that direction. So, I mean, but even again, 1,400 yards in an 11-game season. It's yeah. still over 100 yards a game. So the Ducks, once again, are going to have to tackle. Mm-hmm. I think that's – and it's always interesting in bowl games. You know, who wants to be there? Who's really – passionate about getting out on that field and playing that day. It's always kind of one of those weird narratives that kind of carries. And I think because of Oregon's shortened season and the opportunity that this game presents as a launch pad into next year, I think that I, I don't think that's going to be a big issue. I'm just saying that, you know, when you, you want to tackle a guy that's run for 1,400 yards, every once in a while you make a big business decision or two. It's true. And it, it has kind of been Oregon's Achilles heel this year. Mm-hmm. It's been stopping the run, especially with these stud running backs. And again, Brees Hall, uh, 1436. It's about six yards of carry. He scored 19 touchdowns. Uh, he also had 21 receptions, 170 yards. That's 8.1 yards a catch and two touchdowns in the air as well. So you're going to funnel a lot of the offense production through the run. Well, and that hits on a, a subject perfectly that Papa Duck and I were texting about earlier today that, I mean, Jordan Scott's playing in his last game for mm-hmm. the University of Oregon, and he's really going to have a spotlight on him. He's going to have to get consistent double teams. He's going to have to beat some of those double teams, in particular in the run game, to at least slow that running back down before he gets to the second level and give our guys a better chance to make those tackles. And he's coming off... Maybe the best game of his career? Maybe. I mean, arguably, he definitely played well. And he just, he looks better out there on the field. He looks like he's moving better. He looks like, again, you never know how, like, confidence is kind of at play for a guy. But I know he was in and out of the lineup a lot early on in the season. Don't know exactly what was at play there. But he seems. Precisely, yeah, it's Fort Knox. But, um,. It seems as if he's more comfortable in his role now, and within that, he's become a star in his role here in this last game, so hopefully that can carry over, and you know a guy like that's going to want to show out in his last game in that green and yellow. Actually, we're not sure what they're going to wear in this game yet, have we? Black and white. I mean, mean, let me jump on that. I haven't seen him for uniforms yet, but I'm going to take a peek real quick. Yeah, I mean, in that Pac-12 championship, Jordan Scott was a player that I started kind of hyper-focusing on about midway through the second quarter because he was getting off the ball so fast, and in so many of those short yards... He was getting penetration. There's so many things that he does that are never going to show up in a stat sheet. He's kind of like an offensive lineman in that sense, where it's like you can't gauge anything that he does really off of numbers. Because, yes, he gets tackles here and there, but what his role is to really is just get in there and draw as many offensive linemen on him as possible and open up the the floodgates for those other guys, the Austin Files, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. 
that was why I believe Kayvon Thibodeau had, so, had you know, the game of his life so far in Absolutely. that, in that USC game was because he was getting one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. Makes his can, life so much easier. Yeah, he was breezing by those guys' one-on-ones because Jordan was getting triple teams. And I, I thought it was kind of odd that people were kind of giving Jordan Scott flack for deciding to go pro, and I was like, shouldn't we be happy he came back and did this? Like, <laughs> this, this wasn't necessarily in the cards. Like, you know, it was after draft day, or going into the draft last year, we were talking about how we thought, you know, he could go second round, third round, and then with the season being in jeopardy, I thought for sure he was going to take off. So, so thanks for coming back, Jordan. If you're listening, uh, big fan over here. We yeah. really like you. We, uh, we are a huge things. You are a flock pod favorite here. It does look like Iowa State's going to be rocking their black uniforms. So I haven't seen anything here for what the Ducks are going to be wearing. But if they got blacked, you would imagine white, maybe a, maybe a yellow. Because, again, you can kind of play that off as your, your lighter color uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even the classic candy greens. I like those apple green ones also. So um, always, always a fan of what they roll out there with. Always fun to kind of see. Um, but, again, look good, feel good, play good. Absolutely. It's always a weird one. I like to say look well, play well, because it's like grammatic, but you know, then it doesn't sound as good rolling off the yeah, tongue. That's so tough, that's tough one. Uh, so yeah, it's Jordan Scott, big spotlight in here in this next game just to get refocused. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> tell us a little bit more about what the Ducks need to do on the offensive side of the ball against, you know, or excuse me, what the Ducks then yeah, excuse me, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah what yeah, they need to do against that Iowa State way. defense. Um, yeah, man, oh man. So Plug, Iowa get your State sh- together. is allowing three hundred and forty three point three yards per game which is uh, right around what the Oregon offense is averaging. So kind of you know playing into those same strengths. And again, they play in the Big 12, so you're going to give up a lot of yards as well. Uh, 238.4 of that being in the air and just 105.9 on the ground. Um, most teams in the Pac-12 are usually allowing about 150 on the ground. And again, it's you know not to harp on it too much, but the Big 12 has a lot more air raid style teams. But it, 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 they, they have kind of developed a bit of a system here. So early in the season, Iowa State lost to Louisiana Lafayette. And this changed some things for them as they went moving forward and helped spawn them the best season maybe in Iowa State football history. On the verge of it. Yeah, they beat Texas and Oklahoma for the first time in one season <clears throat> in a year. And they've kind of been progressing this way. The Three years ago, they played in the Liberty Bowl. Last season, the Alamo Bowl. And the Fiesta Bowl, so now they're kind of they're leveling up as they're going along here. So they switched over to a 3-3-5 defensive system, which basically means that they have three down linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive. In this system, you kind of use a three-safety uh, system, where in most you know traditional defenses, two to one safety out on the field. This mm-hmm. middle safety, who they call their star position, is a player named Ashim Young, who is going to be basically the key to this game. Uh, he's going to be kind of the rover and kind of the, um, the the floor general, as you will, for the defense and kind of direct a lot of people. He's been compared to some players like a uh, player I don't really like, Jamal Adams, and then there's a uh, Troy I love Bobo. you, Jamal Adams. <laughs> we'll get into some of those Seahawks later. Yes, we um, will. Uh, so they got the safety and Ashim Young. God, it just like black eyes. <laughs> went back to Sunday and got so upset. They also have a def- uh, linebacker by the name of Mike Rose who comes in at a nice 6'4", 250 pounds. That is a big, big fella who helps them plug those running gaps and uh, allow them to play with those three down linemen so successfully. 
Another key to this 3-3-5 is a defensive end, Jaquan Bailey, who has been described as a game wrecker, uh, demands a double team. So with that, they can kind of create the matchups that they want. And so it'll be interesting to see this new, uh, or the end of the season, so it's weird calling them a new offensive line, but this new group that, you know, is only this will be their seventh or yeah, seventh game together. I don't do math very Eighth well. Eighth game together, regardless, <laughs> uh, is, is going up against uh, a defensive strategy that they haven't really seen in the Pac-12 or maybe in their football lives. If yeah, I mean, it's, it's very unique, and you're going to see blitzes from all kinds of angles like we talked about pre-podcast. And so the way that they communicate, and honestly, the spotlight's also going to be on that linebacking core. I wouldn't be surprised to see Cyrus get a little bit more run because he is a very good blitz pickup guy. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit bigger, but he's also just intelligent in regards to you know where that blitz is going to be coming from and then doing what his quarterback tells him to do, which leads me to my next thing is, one of the biggest things we've been picking on for Mr. Showtime is decision-making. And when you're reading a 3-3-5 during some of those RPOs, your reads are now completely different. And they're going to try and disguise as much as humanly possible. Absolutely. Confuse him as much as humanly possible. I'm going to put money right now that we're going to see one of those no guy, no nobody in a three technique. Like yeah. We're going to see one play where everybody on Iowa State's standing up. Yeah, probably. And it's going to be really interesting. The, the spotlight is really going to be on Showtime here to see if his decision-making has improved and to see if he can put Oregon in the best position to succeed because that's really the job within that Moorhead offense of the quarterback is just make reads. Just make reads, and you're going to find the right guy that's open. You know, you run the same thing over and over again. Just give it time, give it time. It'll always work. And I hope – that he has made some improvements, maybe, you know, done a lot of film work and things like that, and that he's he just needs to keep about three or four more per game just to keep that defense a little bit more honest. But the, the timing of those keeps also is what's going to be so key. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side for Iowa State offensively, it's going to be a lot of the same where I was kind of looking at the discrepancy between their wins and losses and I saw that in their wins, they have more rush than pass, efficient passing, and their wins are over 70% passing, more time possession, less plays. So they play a very, uh, they, they have a game plan offensively to not lose. Yeah. And so they're going to play fairly conservatively with the ball, and it's going to put a lot on their offensive line to try and get, make sure, you know, you're keeping these guys that we talked about earlier away from their quarterback, keep Brock Purdy upright and also help them dictate the game. The first quarter is going to be very important for Iowa State, where I think it's going to be less important for Oregon. I think Oregon has a lot more firepower to come back from behind. Where Iowa State, I thought it was interesting, uh, Kevin Wade was talking about the PFF uh, grades for team talent. Uh, Oregon is 12th in the country as far as ranked players and like you know interesting a lot of that is high school like uh, star carrying over stuff. yeah uh-huh. um, and Iowa State is 92nd. So this is going to be... There's a, a talent discrepancy on yeah, paper, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's what I was going to say. It's th- Those things mean a lot less once the whistles are blown yeah. and they go out there. And it's going to be a game where, like, I think uh, Matt Campbell, the head coach for Iowa State, said he believes in five-star culture over five-star talent. And that's a, it's a great quote from a coach that's not getting very many five stars. I mean, let's just be honest. Let's be real. A coach's job is always to spin it appropriately. And it's interesting that you kind of take that angle because I do want to take this opportunity to talk about an article that both of us had the chance to kind of read before today where, I mean, these two quarterbacks have faced off against each other before Mm -hmm. and it happened down in Arizona, 2016 state championship game. Uh, Showtime played at Hamilton, which, you know, here in kind of the Eugene area would be like a Sheldon. You know, their trophy cases are not light. 
tight. They are very <laughs> full. Um, and in a lot of ways, actually kind of a comparison to Oregon, you know, because they are kind of not flashy per se, but there's uh, um, new uniforms, things like that. Is It's very Hamilton-esque. And then Brock Purdy played at Perry High School, which is a, it's a great high school. You know, they've won some state championships, but we looked at kind of more as like maybe a – not not quite a Churchill, maybe like a North Eugene kind of a thing, kind of an upstart program. And they played in one of the most epic games in Arizona State football history, 63-60 in overtime, broke all kinds of records. They went like after each other. 13 passing touchdowns. Crazy game, stats. Yeah. yeah, Brock Purdy ended up in Perry beat Hamilton. And so I'm wondering how much uh, Iowa State's coaching staff is kind of feeding into a little bit of that underdog narrative, even though the the cycle, or the excuse me, the Iowa State team would also be the team that on would be favorable. I think so. You can tell me a little bit more about what Vegas thinks about this game. I'll have to. Oh yeah. Oh good. I didn't check that. Man, I was the degenerate. I thought, and you had it all written down (laughs) and ready to go. But that is, I haven't even looked. So I'm curious as to what Vegas thinks. I haven't looked either. I'll get on there right now. And uh, it's the Cyclones, right? Yeah. yeah, Okay. Man, I'm just Um, brain is just. I'm not. I haven't talked to people very often lately. So whenever Shane comes over, it's like. Yeah, Iowa State is four point favorites. Interesting. And they are getting 72 percent of. Of the public money on that number. Uh, under over is going to be 57. Five. Well, we know what we say about uh, public money here in this mm-hmm. condo. So I actually like the Ducks um, to to not only beat that line, but to win outright. And that's, I mean, no surprise. I mean, obviously, we are semi-professional well, amateur podcasters uh, here. Sidebar, Oregon is undefeated this season when getting points. Hey-oh! So, there you go. Keep that going. Yeah, so I, again, the matchups seem to play... Uh, so much of it is going to come down to showtime. And can he make good decisions? And can he protect the ball? Mm-hmm. Because Iowa State's defense, like we've talked about, being very aggressive. They, they're going to bring a lot of different blitzes. So fumbling is definitely going to be an issue in this game. And can C.J. Verdell get out there and play for the Ducks? Not only just to be that guy on the field, but the... The team just seems to play a little bit more confidently when he's out there, and everything yeah. just seems to run a little bit better. So, so much is going to be keyed on that. Although, Dye has done a great job in his opportunities to yeah. step up. Cyrus has done a great job. We'd love to good. see. We'd love to see more. Even Papa Duck was wanting more Sean Dollars after he saw after a little a bit of him. Those touches in yeah. the game, like, how do we get this guy the ball some more? Yeah, I was absolutely. A little, I mean, in a game like that, though, you are kind of erring on the side of caution from the coaching staff to. You don't want a Sean Dollars fumble to be the reason why you lost the Pac-12 championship. But it was... It, it left a lot to be desired. I'll say that. Give me a wishbone look with all three of them <laughs> out there. And DJ Johnson at tight end. And let's just run the ball. Cristobal, this is what you've talked about. This is the identity that you want to have. Let's limit Showtime's decision-making. Hey, I'm even okay if Mr. Brown gets a lot more playing time in this game because that's something I've talked a lot about. Those touch passes he had. And he runs the RPO with so much more confidence because he's obviously been doing it a lot more and he's gotten more reps at it. is so much more calm. Yeah. I, I feel better as a fan watching him be the quarterback. I'm just like, ah, oh, I can't relax one of my, just my a little bit. My best tweets of the week was my blood pressure goes down. <laughs> it's amazing. And I think a lot of it, it's it's funny that we're, you know, we're talking about Shook being, you know, the antithesis of, you know, the win or loss. When I think on the other side, it is going to be Brock Purdy who's had some bad games himself in their Some of losses. his own interception yeah, problems. so it's... Uh, it's almost like which one's going to make the mistake first. Well, in which defense do we get? Yeah. You know, do we get the defense that just played against USC? Because, okay, this is a sneaky opinion. And I, th- I tweeted this. I tweeted this. Yeah. I think for the players, mm-hmm. 
USC is the better, the bigger rival right now. Oh, yeah. Because I we have so that. many guys from, and they're not as connected to the UW and to the, the Oregon State. And so I, I think that that's the, so do we get that kind of a passionate team collective energy? You know what I mean? To get out there and actually play against this Iowa State team after they, I mean, it's the Fiesta Bowl. You know, these kids are excited to be there. We've got a really young team. How focused can they be when they get out there on the field? Well, and this is interesting, too, that, like, Iowa State, the Fiesta Bowl is, like, it's a it's a New Year's Six Bowl game. It's a big deal to this pro, to their it's program. It's about as, bet, as good as they've ever done. Yeah. This is kind of another walk in the park kind of game. Feels for weird to Oregon say players. that, but you're right. Yeah, you're yeah, right. I mean, even the last Fiesta Bowl that Oregon played in was against Kansas State, mm-hmm. where they mopped them. Yeah. So it's, you know, like... I that was a fun game. It was. <laughs> I 100% agree with you that, like, I think that USC game is honestly the most important game of the year for the players. The players, Just yes. because so many of them are from Southern California. Playing in their California. backyard. They're playing against guys that they played against in high school. Or, USC recruited all of them. Yeah, and, like, you know, some of these guys maybe didn't get looked at by USC. Also or, a good point. You know, and then it's like, there's the whole Devin Williams. I was about to say, or committed there and went somewhere else. <laughs> so. It's like, so, you know, and then transferring and all the other things, and it's... Another interesting little sidebar that I want to get in real quick was uh, after that um, Showtime versus uh, Purdy high school game, Brock Purdy actually was recruit offered a scholarship by Alabama after that. Well, he shot up. He was kind of a not as touted prospect, and then after that game and going against a guy like Shook in a program like Hamilton, yeah, he shot up. So, it, int- well, did Purdy actually start his career at Iowa State? Think so. Well, now I'm trying I, to remember. All I heard was that he didn't go to Alabama because the I reason feel why like nobody, he did. Why you don't want to go to Alabama is you don't want to never ever play. Yeah, and beat your body. To yeah, and then he went. Like, we went to Iowa State. They were saying like, you know, this guy's going to be a first round draft pick. He's only going to be here for a couple years. And since then, it's kind of walked it back a little bit. It really, in no fault of his own. That, that's people giving you too much hype and then calling you a bust later when it's like, well, I did like, I did everything my coach told me to do. So he did start there, yeah, and it feels like he's been there even longer than he has, but he started, he he's entered junior, games, right? he entered games with a true freshman in 2018. Because him and Showtime came out the same year. They were both yeah. seniors the same mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting that um, they get this matchup again. Lots of really fun storylines. I'm really excited to watch this game. That was another conversation I was having with Papa Duck is, even this last week, I really let it go. I mean, I was excited about the NBA, but I just the the sports excitement just hasn't been there as much this year with so many other things going on in the world that seem a little bit more important yeah, than guys, you know, sure. putting on underwear basically and hitting each other. Yeah. But it is it's it's a nice I, escape. I it's a nice with escape. That. All the time. I mean, you have to have somewhat of a cognitive dissonance to be able to watch football. Let's let's be honest. Let's be real. Yeah. Especially college football, due to just you know, cream some of the things that we've talked about. But in particular, this year, just with everything else going on, and I mean, a good example. I mean, we'll get to it a little bit when we talk about Oregon men's basketball. But just the the UCLA game kind of getting suspended right before tip, basically due to an official. So there's just a lot of things, and I just the schedules moving around. I'm just not as connected. Well, and then and, when like when a game like that happens, really, it's like you know. It gets pushed back. You you go from like thinking X's and O's, pick and roll stuff to like, oh yeah, COVID again. Yeah. And it kind of mm-hmm. like it, it diminishes not diminishes, but sure, diminishes like, you know, the the importance of it smacks a you in the game. face. Yeah. It, it smacks you in the face that once again these are eighteen to twenty two, twenty three year old kids that are playing a game to make other people millions of dollars. Right. It would have been like three years ago if you were like watching Monday Night Football 
but also instead of scrolling Twitter like CNN, it's just like <laughs> that's just what life is now. Yeah, it's like you try and get into it, but it's like oh, this is happening, and then like oh, well, these guys opted out because of this. It's mm-hmm. it's always it used to be on the back burner. Now it's yep. like. Now you got those two pots cooking at the yes. same time. <laughs> and with all that said, I am looking forward on January 2nd, kicking back on the couch, watching this game with the Avatariers, you know, maybe a beverage or two. Um, it's always nice to have an escape. And it's always nice to root for the success of these young players and mm-hmm. this coaching staff because of the time and the amount of energy that they've invested into their craft. And so that's that's kind of the angle I try to take on it and just appreciate, you know, the lessons and things like that that these guys are learning that will, and that's corn as hell but will help them later on in life you know they are learning about themselves learning how you know time and all that kind of stuff so with all of that said skoducks skoducks all right i need a prediction shane oh man i know i haven't thought about this at all honestly i just asked you that and immediately had panic because Um, i (laughs) you know i think this one's gonna be tricky i think oregon wins the game but i think they only score 27 points so So i'm gonna say 27-17. So it's, it's hilarious that you say that. I had 24-28 to 28 in my brain for what the Ducks were going to score. So I'm going to go 28-24. I think it's a close game. Uh-huh. I think I think an Oregon quarterback leads a last, not last minute maybe, but fourth quarter drive to, to win this game. I think an Oregon quarterback leads a last minute drive to win this game. Um, and I'll leave it at that. 28-24 Ducks. Yeah. I mean, would do you think we see more or less Anthony Brown than we saw in the Pac-12 Championship? You're taking away my my I think we're going to see more. Yeah. I think uh, we're going to see more. What did you, what was your score again? I said 27-7. Okay. All right, so we'll post those up on the old social media. We'll, we'll definitely ask for the the flockers, your guys' opinions and thoughts and predictions and whatnot. And as soon as we hear about the uniforms, we'll definitely try to post that also. Um, let's jump into some other football coverage, some NFL products. Great week in the condo for NFL, except for fantasy football. I'm just going to take a minute here. This is the first time. I thought it was seven years, but it's the first time in eight years of my fantasy football career that I'm not going to win a single championship. Really, I won. Me and my buddy Justin Watson, shout out, J-Dub. Uh, you guys took it home? We, we ended up taking yes. it home. Uh, we had Alvin Kamara. So oh, that was, ruined my Christmas, man. That was awesome. Uh, oh, both championship games I was playing in, I was playing against him. That was just, yeah. oh. Varsity Blue Balls got second last year. We ended up taking it home this year. It's terrible, man. <laughs> yeah. And then my, my team, the Garbage Time Points, uh, lost in the finals in the level up league. Oof. Ooh, I know you I wanted got, that one. I wanted it so bad. I know you wanted I, that one. I ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, this guy, Kansas City Brian, um, he lives in Kansas City. The only reason he, we know him and he's in the league is because he has the same name as somebody else in our <laughs> league. We literally found him on Facebook. That's amazing. Last year, he flew out here just for the draft. See, these are the stories I love about fantasy football because that that is one thing, again, just not to get too much of a sidebar here, but it's also been a difficult thing to really be invested in as much as I usually have been. But acknowledging, I mean, it's one of the only reasons why I talk to some of my brother cousins. Uh-huh. It's one of the only reasons I talk to my cousin in Portland. You know, so it's just it's one of those things that still can bring you together and kind of give you a sense of community during these crazy times. Yeah, for sure. But him being a Chiefs fan, he had Mahomes, Kelsey, <clears throat> Hill. Uh, I mean, he had Clyde Edward Solar, but he didn't start him. But Man, yeah, I, Kelsey, just a monster this And year. then I had, in three leagues, I had Murray and D-Hop, so... Yeah, D Hop hurt me a lot in WWFL. That was he was my real big chance. And Devontae, man, he gave me he it was the classic end game, you know, don't give me hope gif at the very end there. But mm. it was yeah, I just would have listened to my girlfriend and started Geo 
then I would have been in the game. So, you know, God, but one if of those things. But starting Geo, I would have told you that you were nuts, throw your phone in the lake. But Geo over Davis actually made a little bit of sense there, you know? But it's it's tough. It's really yeah. hard. And it, she liked his name. So, anyway. I just don't think a guy with a mustache is going to be a good running back. <clears throat> I've always loved Geo. Even I had him in Dynasty when he came out of North Carolina. I've always had a, a part. I thought he was going to just be an absolute. And he's been good. Had a long career. In the, okay, now we're, we're really in the weeds here. NFL Pro Ducks, Justin Herbert, Players of the Week. Who you got, Shane? On the offensive side, we we got the big Herb, the big Elk, Jay Herbo himself, uh, going up against the Denver Broncos. He set the record for most touchdowns by a rookie, uh, or most passing touchdowns yes. by a rookie. He's 21 for 33, 253 yards, only the one touchdown, but it was the one he needed. No picks. They win 19-16 to 16 against a kind of frisky Broncos team. I frisky. Thought, frisky. I thought the Broncos were going to win that G-Lock game. g is terrible. I bet the money line... The, Broncos money line was like plus one fifty. I thought it was in the book. Who's uh who's the Chargers head coach next year? Man, it's you know what's weird is how many people come to the defense of Anthony Lynn. I don't people really love know him. Why people love him? He's I watched a, Hard Knocks. He's awesome. Seems, he's, seems like, like a, a really good guy. good guy. Just not a. I mean, he should be a coordinator. Like one yeah. of those guys that I just think when he's the head coach has a little bit too much on his plate and he can't quite focus and you kind of calibrate everything he needs to. And again, that's me sitting on my couch watching. However, that's the appearance that it gives. If I had to, who I want to be the Chargers head coach, that's, that's a better question. Be, maybe uh, Eric Bieniemy. I was gonna say yeah, I like Bieniemy a lot. Sneaky, sneaky guy is uh, maybe Joe Brady. Ooh. Okay, I like that. Because that's kind of been the trend for, and they were talking a little bit this on the the Sharp Points podcast on The Ringer, where they're moving more towards just giving young offensive minds the keys early on as the head coach because you don't want to lose him if you bring him in as an offensive coordinator and then he really shows out and then he goes gets a job somewhere else. Right, right, so maybe right. bring him in as your head and then bring in some some guys that maybe have some head coaching experience to kind of be some of your coordinators that can kind of help take some of that off his plate, like the Sean McVay plan that they went with with the Rams for the uh-huh. first couple of years. I think that would be that would be fun. That yeah. would just be really fun because he's a passing game genius. I mean, he made Teddy Bridgewater look like a starting level quarterback this year, and I love Teddy, but I he just he just wasn't up to par this season. And Joe mm-hmm. Brady made him still look really good, and he lost Christian McCaffrey and made Mike Davis be eighty two percent of him. That's people, amazing. People were talking about Mike Davis like, well, they really didn't lose that much from losing Christian McCaffrey. I'm like, are you serious? I've seen Mike. I like Mike Davis. I, I loved him when he was with he the Seahawks. Not Christian. Oh, not at all. But but he's solid. But yeah, what Brady did and what the Panthers did was put him again in positions to be his absolute best still within their system. He's more of a downhill runner. Don't make him hop around behind the line. Give him a cut and go. But I mean, I would like Joe Brady a lot and then I might become even more of a Chargers fan. Uh, Those uniforms you know cool are amazing. If they just leaned into the, the current trend and got like some special teams coordinator from somewhere. The, the dude for the Giants is coaching his ass off. Joe Judge, and people were mocking Joe Judge at the beginning of the season for all the lap stuff and things like that, and he's really turned that They're Giants. Killing pro- people. He was the he took that team with Colt McCoy and beat the Seahawks. Shane. We both know what's going on with the Giants. It's Shane Lemieux. Yeah, we both is, know what's going it on. Is. With the Giants. It's Shane they, Lemieux. Once they started playing him, it was uh, okay. Uh, so defensive was, side of the, the ball. <laughs> uh, defensive side, you'll like this. Ooh, yeah, I will. Go. Oh, Marty. Yes, had I will. Five tackles and one pass defended in a 20 to 9 trouncing of the Los Angeles Rams in the what I call the NFC West Championship game. I mean, boy, talk about, again, similar to the Ducks, a defense that seems to just kind of be peaking at the right time. And you can look back at the, the opponents for the Seahawks over the last four to five weeks, and it's been hot garbage. But. The Rams were a competent team most of the season. We talked a little bit about Goff, and I, I, you can't keep them in bubble wrap forever. 
You know, yeah. and there's going to be games where he needs to just grip it and rip it a little bit. And you can tell, again, from a confident side, sitting on my couch, what I can see is just those those quick reads, those those deep balls, those passes to Cooper Cup no. just aren't getting made. And, I mean, this, the Seahawks played well. Uh, Carlos Dunlop has been a force on that mm. defense since they brought him in. And Ugo being able to play. He, he has such – he's such a mercurial player. You know, he has such ups and downs from weeks. But you can tell when they, when they develop specific schemes for him to really shine in. He does a great job. And he took a little bit of a dip uh, productivity-wise when they got Jamal Adams just because they couldn't really figure out how to play them on the field together. And now they think they've got it figured out. He played 63% of the snaps this week, 70 in the two weeks prior. So he's back kind of uh, on the field, you know, in passing situations mostly. I would love to see his snap usage compared to when Jamal Adams is in the box. Because oh, that's yeah. the correlation that I really see Probably, is when they yeah. bring Adams more into the box is when they need Ugo more in those. Because he's not a great on-the-line-of-scrimmage guy tackling. Thing. He's more of a pure coverage cornerback. He's Yeah, especially they move him around to safety a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. He would probably, like, if you called him a safety, he'd probably be the smallest. In- probably, yeah. And, but he, he's just one of those guys you like to watch play. He plays uh-huh. so he's stinking everywhere. hard. And again, like, that's that line. Five tackles, and it was one solo for assist. Uh, doesn't really even speak to like how all over the plane and how disruptive he was. He was the guy who was covering that sideline receiver that I think was Tyler Higby when Goff threw that stupid interception on like the 30 when he rolled out and then like instead of just running out of bounds, which he already was there, he just like threw it in the air. <laughs> and, but again, Ugo was all over Higby to the point where he couldn't even make a play on the ball, and it just got intercepted, and that was pretty much the turning point of the game, too. I mean, the last the last thing I'm gonna have, I'm gonna say about the Seahawks game, then we move on. Is I mean, the Seahawks had the Rams just giving up on plays. That's all okay. I'm gonna say at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen anything like that. He just puts the ball down and runs away from it. Like I, I understand what the refs are saying that he gave himself up, but right. oh, Josh oh. Reynolds is uh, <laughs> he's been he's made some questionable plays like that his entire career well no, that's what's so interesting i mean i've had him in fantasy for the last couple of years as one of those guys you never really know Almost if he's gonna good. pop yeah he's got the good. talent yeah. he's got all the talent and that's our cup and trees both coming back next year uh-huh. that's both what I, yeah. In, yeah so bobby I, trees is fun to watch too yeah. and that's a that's a beaver that I'll, I'll root for every day all day so bobby trees was a true was he robert woods yeah, he played there. Robert Woods and Marquise Lee were on that same USC team. Oh, you're right. Damn it, I'm rooting for a tr- That's almost worse than I Okay, know. so we're going to take a quick break and come back so with some more round ball coverage. We appreciate you sticking around. Now we're the Ducks. Yeah. And the Ducks yeah. are undefeated. All right. Yeah. Quack. 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 Welcome back to the Flock Pod. We are happy to announce that the puppy producers are all asleep, so hopefully no more uh, background noise coming from that perspective. We'll see what happens. I probably just jinx myself. Um, let's jump right into some, uh, some women's hoops coverage here. Um, in the news, obviously, the biggest thing that's come out in the last day or two, uh, Mr. Kelly Graves being uh, locked down here for numerous years. What's the actual year on the extension there, Shane? Uh, it is till through the 2028-29 season. Love it. Love so, it. Love to hear the rest of this decade. Yeah. Well, 
this is my pipe dream, and I, I don't know if Dana wants to retire here or not, but having those two guys at the helm for, you know, my lifespan, basically, would be pretty incredible. And I don't, you know, never can say that's going to happen or not, but there may be ups and downs. I'd but say it's more likely that Kelly Graves stays longer than Dana Altman. Interesting. I was going to go the other way. I think I, somebody might try to drop the bag. I think the WNBA might start coming uh, for Kelly. Well, that's true, but I do you make more money coaching in the WNBA? That's actually a great question. I don't yeah. I'm not going to take the time to like jump on my phone right this second, yeah, but I'll I mean, look that I don't, up later. I know WNBA coaches aren't necessarily like huge breadwinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean there has been there's the Derek Fishers and the uh, What's his face for the Aces? Uh, uh, Bill Lambier yes. and like them, but I mean, also like you know, I don't think they're coaching for finances either. So that'd be interesting. I think because I mean, like in men's basketball, you can make more money coaching in college than you can the pros, depending upon the job. And, yeah. yeah, who you are. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Coach Cal and those guys, like they have no reason to go pro. Yeah, we've heard a couple programs come calling for Dana, kind of sniffing around. Um, he hasn't really seemed interested in leaving for another college program. I don't. Th- He's not an NBA guy to no, me. No, 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 not no. at all. We're gonna run the full court press. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love to see it. Yeah, it'd be cool. Rick Pitino tried it, but uh, again, okay, we're gonna spiral off into a whole other conversation. But let's not do that. But I would love to see that in the NBA. I think that's the next game changer. But I think that having Kelly locked down only is going to give this program more power to now go out and recruit, and that's frightening. If yeah, I'm, if oh, I'm yeah. a West Coast team, if I'm another team in women's college basketball, this is the last thing I wanted to see happen. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, they showed his uh, winning percentage at Oregon. It's crazy. 75%. He's very, very good at what he does. And when and he it's... took over the program, it wasn't a top-tier program. And it, it, it waffled. You know, mm-hmm. we'd gone through some things. Um, you know, Paul Westhead, you know, had his uh, his run here for a little while. Uh, Shaquilla Williams, those were some fun days back in the... I mean, but, and I mean, then... now it's like a women's basketball blue blood. It's powerhouse. Yeah, yeah it's 100% powerhouse. I mean, we're, we're gonna. Our ultimate goal here on the Flock Pod is to. I think Shea Serrano would basically be like our white whale of a guest. Oh, absolutely! But to have him He's a like top five human being yeah, in my world. Yeah, but to have him as invested as he is into women's basketball, especially U of O women's basketball, mm-hmm. is it's great. And once again, this is it's just it's so great for this community to have a program, have a coach like this that they can root for and support. That photo of Shea Serrano like picking up the takeout and it's like long slots, <laughs> sides, shorts, and the Sabrina. New Jersey is one of my favorite photos. Oh, ever. it's great. He but is a top five human being. You're 100% correct. I could there. see Dana leaving to go back to the Midwest just to like go finish his life career over there. But like, did, did he go back to Creighton? I mean, is Creighton, there another Nebraska? One of those two. Yeah, I don't see him going to Nebraska. I don't know. That's a, that's a, t- I, I Wichita see, State. I could see Dana going somewhere, not for the program, but just to be in that area. I think if he struggles, I think if he has like two or three seasons here where he can't throw things against the wall and kind of get everything to piece together like he's done in the past, I think if he has two or three seasons like that, that might come more on the on the lips of the media and kind of in the mm-hmm. in the the verbiage here. But I think he's yeah. I think we're gonna be we're very fortunate here as Duck fans. Um, very blessed to have two great coaches in the area doing what they are and making this. I mean, athletic program, one of the absolute best in the country when it comes to the top three major sports. And again, softball and baseball are kind of a sub softball in particular on the come up baseball. We'll get there. Baseball's but, still in its <laughs> developmental we'll get there. stage. New coach, you know, we're excited yeah. to see what they can do and their their season and programs have obviously been thrown into shambles with COVID also. That's why we haven't been covering them as much. But it's so, been yeah. So weird, like one of my last pre COVID memories is us going to that baseball game, that Oregon. Baseball oh yeah, that was so fun. 
and it's that just was, like it seems like a lifetime ago. That was definitely PC pre-COVID. Uh-huh. Yeah, like that's my pre-PC, and then AV is what we're going to be moving into here soon. And so. that game too, everybody was already socially distanced. We were already way over time. Everybody was like the whole. There was like probably like. A quarter of that stadium was full. But true. Everybody was like really spread out. It's like actually we, very true. We weren't even close to like another human being and we were like right behind home plate. Yeah. Not a lot of fans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, women's hoops um, ranked number eight in the country right now. Seven and oh overall. Five and oh in the conference. Had a little bit of a squeaker with the Cougars up in Pullman. Pullman's always a tough place to play. That was like an 11 a.m. tip. Mm-hmm, lots weird. of lots of weird stuff going on there. So they're going to have, you know, a game or two like that. Um, big couple weeks here coming up for the Ducks as three out of their next five are against top 11 teams. We're really going to find out if this team is as good as I know I think they are. I think they're, you know, a top three team in the country right now. And having that game against Stanford is really going to give them an opportunity to prove it. Um, going against USC tomorrow night, not a team, again, similar to kind of that Washington State team where you just got just to go out there and take care of business. They have, uh, God, I can't remember her name, but they have one of those bigs. She plays power forward, I think. She's not very tall, but uh, muscular. And so they have they have a couple players on that USC team that are physical, scrappy. Um, you know, they're not getting – it's not a top-tier program, even the Pac-12, but it's definitely a team that is not to be overlooked. Same with Washington State. I mean, basically every women's basketball Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 program is kind of on the up-and-up right now. Um, even the top-tier ones are even doing better than they have the Arizona, Arizona State, the um, Stanford's. I'm guessing that's Angel Jackson I think that you're talking about there. Right. Yeah, six foot five sophomore center um, is number fifteen, I believe. Um, but yeah, they are. They're not they're not to be trifled with. Yeah, they you know, a team you got to go out there and take teams. care of business. They usually all rebound teams. They play some good defense. Um, it's it's going to be a game where you have to go in and earn. Even if you are going to win it, you're going to come out with a couple band aids on. Because uh, I remember just doing those like around the the pack. Uh, weekly articles I was doing for DuckNews.com. And speaking of DuckNews.com, I have an article coming out here, eh, but it'll be out by the time you hear this, on the defensive prowess of this Oregon women's basketball team. And, you know, we've touched on it quite a bit in some of the um, past podcasts, just holding teams at 223 it's uh, unbelievable. Three point shooting on the season right now in seven games. It's absolutely unbelievable. That's one thing you saw fall off a little bit in that Washington State game was the ball pressure that their defense really revolves around. And again, that's 11 a.m., tired legs. Who knows what's going on there with travel and things like that. But this USC team is going to challenge them because both of their guards are their leading scorers. I mean, and Dia Rogers putting up, let's see here, 16.9 a game, and then Jordan Sanders putting up 15.2 a game. They're going to push them a little bit. They're both shooting the three ball pretty well. Jordan Sanders especially, she's 15 to 20 on the season from behind Jeez. the arc and then India and in India sorry if I'm not saying that correctly I tried to get it before the podcast but didn't I heard it a lot of different ways um, shooting uh, 14 to 35 so not as good but still you That's know still a 40 percent clip yeah. it's not 68 percent but it's still 40 percent <laughs> clip so they're going to challenge this Oregon defense and again it's, it's at home so I mean maybe you'll get a little bit better preparation there the, the COVID stuff's a little bit easier to handle because you're waking up in your own bed you would imagine and I, I expect them to kind of come out and put a hurt on this USC team just to make up for that that Cougar game. Well, and then I, I was actually kind of relieved to see that Washington State game go the way that it did because it gave that team an opportunity <laughs> to have adversity against a team that they are not quite as uh, – uh, a team that's not as talented as they are. So they were able to kind of use that as a kind of a practice. You want to see it, you know, eventually in the season where you have those tight games moving 
through the year so that when you get down to tournament time, it's not something new. It's not like that pressure is going to make some of these, especially younger players, fold. Yeah, pressure makes diamonds. You know, mm. you, you want these younger players to go through some of those situations. And so that's why it's those 11 a.m. tips on the road are good because they can prepare you for a tournament game, things like that, different environment. Um, always a positive to learn from those kinds of situations. And like you're saying, I mean, sometimes you have a tendency to play down to your competition. So what does that look like when it happens? And then how do you bounce back? So this is a statement game. I think playing USC, especially having those next games kind of coming up on the horizon, are they peeking ahead a little bit? Are they focused on what they're doing today? Or and t- it, tomorrow. <laughs> and it was an opportunity to uh, tighten up the rotation a little bit. We saw some of the minute mm. dispar- uh, not dispersed as much. Uh, I think still like 11 players played. Yeah. But you weren't getting 12 minutes for the 12th person on the bench. You're getting more spurts and things like that. Bursts exactly. where just to give the, the bigs a break or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, Kelly's going to find out a lot about this team over the next few weeks, and it's going to be very telling for the rest of the season. I would, ex- I would be... I'd be shocked to see them go three and against those top three, those top eleven teams. Uh, I don't know if I'd be shocked. I mean, I'd be, I'd be ecstatic. But I would say two and one, you know, kind of coming out of this, realistic. is is nice. You know, yeah. it's good. I mean, I could see them dropping one of those games just because keeping your energy up, you know, for those. But I mean, maybe this team's just that talented too, and we're gonna find out. The last loss for uh, Oregon women's basketball, January tenth. What year? Last year. <laughs> So oh, no. that was crazy. I was, yeah, I was that's a big time stat. I was looking at some of the stuff from last year. I was kind of comparing some of the defensive statistics from last season to this season. Uh, they're averaging four less points a game, uh, holding teams to 6% less field goal percentage. So, I mean, last year's team was also a very good defensive team exceptional. as well. Yeah, I mean, exceptional. It was one of the things kind of lost on just the amount of scoring that they were doing, mm-hmm. where uh, the point differential this, this season, uh, they're outscoring teams 31 points this year. Last season, and that was an entire season, 38 points. Well, and, I mean, flock favorite Minion Moore was a big part of that also, mm-hmm. just with that on-ball pressure consistently. And so I think that the teams are very different, but there are there's similarities within Graves' system, and he's just kind of changed things just a little bit to just bring out the, the strengths of this squad. Yeah, yeah, just a little, little tweak. A little tweak, you know, a little sprinkle of this, a little sprinkle of that, you know, mix it up a little bit. Tighten this screw and loosen this yep, one a little absolutely. bit. absolutely. And I think kind of like the main point of the article that I had was uh, defensive combinations. Mm, and mm-hmm. I tried to focus on just two-player combinations. And, you know, we already talked about four of my favorite, Jazz Shelley and Taylor Chavez, probably two of my favorite people to watch play basketball on the court together. Then you also have Sedona Prince, Naira Sobley, Maddie Schur, Sonny Parrish. Pow, pow, kind of being sprinkled in there as that third guard that, you know, isn't, he's kind of the more uh, opportunistic defender rather than like the uh, make you wish you weren't playing basketball defender that Jazz Shelley and Taylor Chavez are. <laughs> um, they make you want to go home. Yeah, you're like, I don't think I like playing basketball anymore. <laughs> So, no, this, this is going to be a really good stretch for the Ducks, so definitely make sure to check in. We are unsure if this game against USC is going to be televised anywhere. Check in on GoDucks.com to see if there's a stream available. There's a whole other rant in here about you know women's sports and women's college sports getting out there and getting more publicity and television and whatnot and uh we hope to see that soon uh but for the time being you know just try to give them clicks try to give them everything you can while you can those Um, streams will become more and more prevalent the more people watch yeah i mean if they build it you must come so i mean Mm -hmm. give them a chance to really get that going let's jump over to the men's side 
Um, kind of some weirdness with the UCLA getting the UCLA game getting postponed. We touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, Ducks are still six and one overall, one and zero in conference play. Uh, Twenty one in the AP, jumping back up into the rankings, which is always nice to see. They actually tip off at seven p.m. tonight. We're recording this. Is it? Is it a Wednesday? Is it a weekday? Today is Thursday. Thursday, Thursday is weekday. Okay. New Year's Eve. Far out. Yeah, no, yeah. We'll talk about 2020 later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 7 p.m. tonight on Pac-12 Network. Um, Cal five and four on the season. Um, another home game here um, for the Oregon men. Just you want to see more of what we've seen. You know, they've played against some of these teams that are you know feisty. You know, but aren't in the Pac-12. We've liked what we've seen. The road, like you're saying with the women's, the rotations kind of changing a little bit, and just the shadow of Will Richardson's return kind of hanging over this program. Mm-hmm. Which they are kind of figuring out how to play without Will Richardson, which we saw early in the year. They were kind of lost without him on the floor. And uh, Cal has that guy that kills them, uh, Matt, whatever. Oh, that jumping on their roster right shooting now. shooting guard. Yeah. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. You probably see Duarte on him tonight to start the game, and then they'll probably try and throw a couple different pieces at him as the game goes on. But Cal is always a frisky team. I, mean, it's, I feel like Oregon loses at Cal all the time, but we normally beat them at home. Uh, let's see here, Joel Brown maybe. No. Let me look at stats. That'll probably tell me information. This just tells me right here how detached he was a senior last year. I don't think he was. Um, yeah, this kind of tells me just how detached I am from basketball. Uh, Matt Bradley, number twenty, Bradley. is uh, yeah their leading scorer right now, nineteen points a game. He's the uh, should be running back for their football team <laughs> that happens to play shooting guard. You'll know what I mean when you see him, and he's just—he's just such a tough matchup because he's so buff, but he can handle. Mm-hmm. He's like this weird, like six foot four, two twenty, out of San Bernardino. Yeah, he's a—he's one of those guys where it's like, wait, you—is there a neck? Dude, he's like yeah. all shoulders and like his his like wrists are stronger than my biceps. It's a, he's a crazy human being. So this will be a big game to see if Duarte can get better on a, as an on-ball defender. I'd like to see him use LJ Figueroa more in that role also as kind of that defensive stopper um, and just kind of give him a chance to get on the basketball court a little bit more because I really like what I'm seeing. Yeah, it was weird. He kind of came in. It was just this bat out of hell for a second. He was running around doing everything, and then we haven't seen him on the court as much as we had in that first game. But that's Dana Altman to a T. Yes. You never really know exactly what he's thinking. And he is trying a lot of things on the fly, and he'll you know test some things early in games especially and then they'll you'd never see it again for the rest of the season. Uh, huh, I didn't know that Trent Johnson was on that Cal coaching staff. That's interesting. The old uh, Nevada coach, I believe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Cal's done. They've had some good hires in a lot of their sports. They're, I mean, they've they're kind of a, a program in purgatory, you know, trying to get out of the the the, the cellar, you know, if mm-hmm. you will, of the Pac-12 in several different sports. They've spiked a couple times over the last couple of years, but haven't had that consistent success. And hopefully, Oregon will be able to stymie any of that success this evening. This is a big game for the Ducks, just to, again to come out, keep that momentum rolling. Um, Want to see them get more into the teeth of this Pac-12 season. Hopefully, we'll have some better luck when it comes to games and things like that. Um, I mean, this was a big one here 
um, against Cal. They've got Stanford coming up, and then the the dreaded Colorado Utah trip after that. Mm, into the mountains. So you know they're going to go at least one and one there. But I mean, this is why you wear a mask because you might talk to somebody who is a ref, and you might give them COVID right before the game. This like, is true. This is true. Wear uh, your masks, people. And shout out to uh, Shane for dropping me off some uh, some Oregon mask here before woo! the game before the podcast they before the game started today. Stupid face. You uh-huh. got a big face, man. I got a little face. You know we compliment each other well on numerous, numerous things. But yeah, big game for the Ducks. Again, just to see them be able to carry over any momentum. Um, I think we can jump into some pro Ducks here now with the NBA. Um, I Again, this is one of those situations. I'm getting proven wrong right here sitting in my chair. Uh, Mr. Pritchard's really playing out of his mind for the Celtics. Um, swung a game for him really the other yeah. day. Uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch what kind of a role he continues to occupy as this Celtics roster matures if Marcus Smart becomes more of that pure point guard distributor if they do need Pritchard's shooting and kind of playmaking ability out there on the floor the biggest thing that he's impressed me though has been his defense I didn't unbelievable I really and again I'm I am willing to say when I am wrong about things, 100%. I have been very impressed with his ability to move laterally and stay in front of NBA basketball players. Especially I did bigger, not see that coming. Bigger guards. Yeah, I too. did not see that coming. So, again, I, I'm, I've been wrong about that. His intelligence has really, really shown out. He's definitely rotating really well. And the more I think about this, I mean, playing for the Celtics, playing in a Brad Stevens system, being a winner at every level, a guy that's just going to work outwork you. I mean, that just that's so Celtics. It really is. So it just it makes sense. I think he landed in a perfect position to really have it and not having Kemba. I mean, he has a role. He has an opportunity to step into. And who knows if this was the pick that the Celtics were already thinking about before they got that Kemba news. I mean, they took Naismith earlier on in the draft. They obviously were going after shooting. But Pritchard does bring some of that that playmaking ability off the dribble when they run those off-ball screens for Brown and Tatum, which has just been really fun to watch. And Tice also has been playing really well for them. But I'm He's shooting threes now and stuff? Well, he... he He's been doing that. He's just not as consistent. He just he looks a little more confident this year doing so. Rolling up sets for him. Absolutely, I love having him in fantasy. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's going to be really fun. And again, I I'm willing to buy that drink for that coach. I had. I, I think Peyton's going to stick. I really think he's going to stick. His shooting ability is going to be a little more inconsistent, I think, at this level. But I, I I'm wrong. I mean, he still shot. He had a three in that game where he went five for five. I don't remember who they were playing, but he shot one from two feet beyond. Was it the Pelicans? I, I want to. Yeah. So. But uh, from like two feet beyond the NBA three-point line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so he's even extended his range from, from what we saw here at Oregon. Uh, the defensive thing is really interesting because he's playing such better defense. But I kind of had this epiphany just now while you were talking that it's like he was playing so many minutes before. It's like he's taken that energy that was so elongated in college and is putting it into these little sh- like eight-minute runs where he's able to just go balls out. It was the Grizzlies because it was the game that he was playing against Dylan Brooks. I mean, yeah, last three games he's put up 13, 10, and 8 from a scoring perspective. He's shooting incredibly efficiently. That The first Pacers game going 5 for 5 and 3 for 3 from deep, um, doing some things. I mean, he's got two, one, and two steals in those games. And just, I'm, (laughs) I think they were talking about the Ringer podcast is watching him and TJ McConnell go after each other is kind of like a a passing of the guard, you know, to just that feisty white point guard that's going to pick you up, you know, for 92 feet. McConnell's a UCLA guy. Uh, McConnell's Arizona. Arizona. Um, But kind of has that Pittsburgh vibe to him, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's going to, I think he's going to stick. And it's been, I, I was wrong. 
Speaking of things sticking, uh, the NBC Sports Boston had a few nickname, potential nickname ideas <laughs> for Mr. Pritchard. The first being Eight Mile. Has to be it. Um, the second being Dean Pritchard, like from, uh, oh, what's the movie? Will Ferrell, uh, old school. Yeah. And then uh, the last one being Fast PP. Uh, those were the three. They said he has earned a nickname, which will stick. I think we're going eight miles, probably the funniest. I mean, if you know, you know, and that's all I'm going to say, but it's got to be eight miles. <laughs> and then uh, I really like Dean Pritchard, and I think that's a nickname that I'm kind of mad at myself for not coming up with. <laughs> Just Well, and for those of you that don't know, the Fast PP comes from his like Twitter handle, and I think that might have been his Instagram handle for a little while. He played for Team Fast when he was up there at Westland up in um, Portland, Oregon, and it, it, it has to be eight miles. <laughs> it has to be eight mile, and I, it's been fun to watch. I, I have been able to kind of put away my, you know, draft and, and analysis and, and enjoy watching him play. I'm not going to become a Celtics fan again, no thank you. But uh, it's been it's been enjoyable to watch this and having my dad. You know, he's kind of begrudgingly coming around like I am. He wasn't a big fan of his, so it's uh it's fun to see Ducks going out there and succeeding, no matter what your thoughts or opinions are them of and otherwise right and it, it's also cool as like a basketball fan and college basketball fan to see a four-year player like Peyton Pritchard who's like your you know your typical Naismith kind of guy to actually have like this level of success and we're kind of seeing this weird changing of the guard in the NBA where these more polished NBA pro or college products are uh, having more immediate success in the NBA and we're kind of seeing, like, as we get to the point there pretty soon where we're going to have high school players coming back into the NBA draft, that there is still value for these guys going to college. Those four-year guys, absolutely. I mean, Pritchard, a guy that I compared him a lot, was a guy like Marcus Howard coming out of Marquette. And I thought Howard had, would have the better chance to become – and actually, funny story, Marcus Howard played at Perry High School down in Arizona. So just connecting all the dots here. I've never scouted a guy more intensely for high school basketball before than him. It was <laughs> so fun. That kid had no – I mean, I did this whole scouting chart going left, going – he had no weaknesses. It was incredible. But he's a guy that's kind of stuck in the NBA. He's got a two-way deal for the Denver Nuggets right now, but he hasn't been given that opportunity like Pritchard has. So it's it's going to be interesting to watch their two career arcs because they are very similar players and how, I mean, Pritchard's been able to play a little bit better defense than Howard has, and I think that's been the biggest thing to get him on the air and just the opportunity for the Celtics. Right. Well, I mean, the, the Kemba Walker injury and then just his defensive ability to be able to have another on-ball defender out there when Smart does go to the bench yeah. that can put pressure on ball handlers has earned him those minutes. It hasn't been a shooting. It hasn't been any of those things. Those are all pluses. Yeah. I think Brad Stevens putting him out there more on the defensive side of the ball. And he's just been a pest. Yeah. He's, he's your quintessential in-your-face you know, point guard that just, yeah, anyway, makes like your said, life a living hell. 45 minutes of college basketball energy yes. for three minutes on the ball. Absolutely. That's impressive stuff. So last week here on the podcast, or last week, our last episode, a couple yes. weeks ago, we took a little uh, holiday break. Happy holidays, everybody. We talked about our... One, two, three, four, or five products and their fantasy um, management relevance owned yeah. where their rankings. And now that we are a couple weeks into the season, we've had a chance to see everybody. Uh, we have some updates here. So we'll start with Peyton Pritchard. Uh, last time we talked, he was owned in 1% of leagues and he was ranked 649th. I still believe there's probably 650 total players in the NBA. Uh, now <laughs> he is coming in at 6% owned. And uh, it's actually kind of a shockingly low jump considering he's ranked 143rd. He's averaging 16.9 fantasy points in 
the league that I created the scoring system for. Well, it's a pretty standard scoring system. I just added some double double, triple double bonuses in there. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a solid number. I think you're getting a shade under twenty points out of a point guard who's playing what like fifteen minutes a game. Right around there, yeah. I mean, he's been very efficient. You know what I mean? Um, that can't be right. How many? There's thirty teams in the NBA, right? Thirty-two. 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 Yeah. So still, yeah. There's only about there's less than five hundred players in the NBA. Oh, there is. Yeah, because there's fifteen players per roster. I mean, they can go up to twenty with like two way guys yeah. and G League guys. So you go twenty times thirty-two. So yeah, you're getting well, actually twenty times thirty-two. Let's just quick math here. Great podcasting. <laughs> Gotta love that. Uh, 640. Huh. So, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he was basically bottom of the barrel, but he's proving, <laughs> no, he's proving everybody wrong in that regard because he has been given an opportunity. He's been given a role. And he's he went against a guy the other day, Dylan Brooks, who's also moving into an expanded role now with John Morant's injury status kind mm-hmm. of being up in the air. The Grizz, if the Grizzlies were smart, they would give Dylan Brooks the keys this season and say, hey, why don't you guide us to 12 or 15 wins? We're going to sit JJJ and John Morant all season. We're going to get another top three pick, and then we'll reward you with a little bit more on your contract next season. I mean, he's uh, had another player that like is having like elevations in his game that I thought were playmaking. Done. Once again, playmaking being the thing that's really taking his game to the next level, being able to play off of that pick and roll, get the ball to Brandon Clark, move the ball around the perimeter a little bit better off the dribble. While we're talking about him, uh, so last podcast he was coming at 31% rostered and 182nd in the league. He's jumped all the way to 62% and 54th. He's averaging 32.45 points a game fantasy-wise. He's a guy, because he does some things on the offensive side, or excuse me, on the defensive side of the ball, he's going to get you a steal every once in a while. He's going to get you three to six, three to seven rebounds per game. Um, the thing you worry about with him in fantasy and why he might be more valuable in a points system is the turnovers and just the field goal percentage because he is a, he can turn into a little bit of a chuck it guy and he can hurt you in that field. If you're in a cat league, he can hurt you in that percentage. Yeah, he, uh, he gives himself the green light. Quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Which is nothing new if you watched him while he was here at Oregon right. or at Finley Prep. <laughs> uh, Troy Brown Jr. down in D.C. Uh, was coming in at 11% owned and 171st ranked. He is now only 6% owned and 277th just 8.35 points a game. Though I haven't watched very much Wizards this season. Um, from what I'm hearing, it looks pretty bad. The spacing's really bad. Um, they've got a lot to figure out, kind of trying to integrate a guy like Russell Westbrook and a lot of wings. I mean, Rui's been hurt, and now he's kind of getting back into the fold. So it, it's going to be a t- – I mean, and he was a guy that we were both pretty high on uh-huh. coming into this season – he he may need a trade to to get into a situation where he's in the best position to succeed. I just don't know if that I don't like Scotty Brooks as a coach. I don't like now that he's playing with Westbrook, a guy that's going to steal, you know, a rebound or two from him per game. He's going to take a couple <laughs> yeah, or or Dini's going to take some shots away also. It's just that's a that's a tough fit. Now that's yeah. a tough puzzle to put together. I'd be curious to see it would be too much research, but what what across the board guys have looked like statistically from last season to this season with the addition of Russell Westbrook because like we've known we know now that like in those Oklahoma City years there was a couple times where guys were given roster uh, contract incentives to get lower rebounding numbers Steven Adams was making $400,000 more to get less rebounds than he averaged well, it's the, it's the Oladipo effect, right? It's the it's the Sabonis effect. I mean, you saw what those guys were with the Thunder, and mm-hmm. now seeing what they've become for the Pacers. And 
things can change. Oladipo's coming off an injury, but they're they're studs. And they were pretty much relegated to nothing with the Thunder. Dennis Schroeder? Den- yeah, absolutely. So you're seeing guys kind of come out of that shadow, and that's why I was really bummed, actually, to see Westbrook get... Because with Wall, Wall's going to move the ball. Wall's going to penetrate and then kick. Westbrook's going to penetrate and then put up some awful mid-range shot and then try to go get the rebound or himself. Or dribble out and do like nine back steps. And- He's in a tough spot. Yeah. Again, I, I think a trade is going to be necessary or you hate to see it, but some injuries. Maybe Rui isn't able to be the guy coming off his injury so he can take some of those minutes. But well, I mean, he's injury-prone dudes on that roster. Bertans is a guy that if you're playing fantasy, I'd go get him. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I'd go get him in every ball possibly you can right now, like especially that, uh, having that center forward designation. The Alvadita or whatever. Came. Oh, Denny. Yeah. yeah, Denny's playing well for him, which is also going to eat into Brown's minutes yeah. because he's playing that wing role, which they were looking. He's been impressive. He's kind of a um, kind of a slow mo, kind of like a Kyle Anderson, but better. Kind you of know, me of Nick Batum a little bit. Yeah, yeah. kind of just a, a lanky guy moves like very deliberately. There's mm. not a lot of explosiveness in that game. Quick shot, quick release, which you like to see in the NBA level. He's the kind of guy that you watch play basketball and you're like, oh, basketball's pretty easy. It's <laughs> 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 a good point. Yeah. Um, so I think the only guy that we haven't touched on, uh, Mr. The Big Kombucha. Uh, well, and Mr. Bull. Um, oh, yeah, Bull. I always so forget about the Bull Assange. Chris Boulassons. Boucher, uh, coming into the season, was at 50, 55% rostered at 132nd. He's now up to 62% rostered. A uh, little bit of a dive backwards, though. 154th in the rankings. 27.01 points a game. Had a big game a couple nights ago. A lot of that's just going to come down to Nick Nurse's rotation. You know, he's fighting for minutes with Mr. Alex Len and uh, Mr. Aaron Baines. Yeah. And it just depends. I mean, when you're going against a center like Joel Embiid, you can't really play Boucher, you know, as much as you'd like to just well, because of the size disparity there. He's put on some weight, but he's, I mean, he's still slim duck. Oh, I mean, <laughs> he, yeah, he put on a, a decent, I mean, he, he's done a good job transforming his body, but, like, there's some of these dudes are, you know, they're like... I mean, it's Joel Embiid. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, let's be, you're going to want Aaron Baines out there to bang on him a little bit more. Even Alex Len gives you a little bit more shoulders and length to challenge some of those, you know, Embiid fadeaways and get better boards. But he's going to have an opportunity. The, the Raptors have to figure themselves out. They're really struggling defensively right now. I don't know what's going on with Pascal Siakam. He needs to develop a better handle to be able to be that guy for them. And when you're relying upon a 34-year-old Kyle Lowry, that's a tough spot. So I I, I worry about that Raptors arc a little bit. And they, they're a possible James Harden destination. And if I'm the Rockets, Boucher is a guy that I'd be wanting back. They have a, they have a good amount of gentlemen's clubs, right? Oh, Toronto's beautiful. Yeah, Toronto's yeah. a great place. Actually, I, it's so funny. All the places he named are all strip club havens. You, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's the place that I would. I mean, I've kind of transformed into a Raptors fan, and so this would be difficult for me. But I, that's the place that I think I'm the most basketball sense is that's what they need. They, yeah, yeah, I can see that. And you pair well. I mean, then they have some trade assets too. OG and Anobi. It have to be Vliet. like it have to be Van Vliet, Van Vliet and Anubi, the and then something else, or you're sending Lowry back, and then it's you know our Siakam. It just it just depends on. I mean, Ujiri is one of the best GMs in the entire NBA, so he's going to get a deal that makes sense for them, and he's a guy that's shown that he's not afraid to go out there. And I mean, that deal for Kawhi, they give up Demar Derozan. 
You know yeah. what I mean? So if you're if you're talking, I'm sending you back Kyle Lowry plus. I mean, that'd be a tough sell to Raptors fans. Yeah, but you were also. I mean, it's Kyle Lowry for a year. Of... Oh, if you're the Rockets, you don't do that. Yeah. I mean, you don't want that. You want the younger guy. So you want Van Vliet and you want something else and some other pieces. I it just makes the most basketball sense because the Raptors need a score. And I saw you tweeting about this. So help me. Neil O'Shea, don't you even pick up the phone and answer any calls from the Houston area code. And CJ let him know, too, because as soon as those rumors came out, CJ yeah. went out and dropped 44. Yeah, yeah, but also Harden had 44 and 17 in that I game. I don't want James Harden in a Blazers uniform. <laughs> I, I I was with you, and what's, trans, what's changed my kind of outlook on it is every single time that a team trades pieces for the piece... It works out. Okay, so I'm, I'm with you there. And then you know the trade that I've been obsessed with forever. Yeah. So they're talking about a possible James Harden for Ben Simmons deal. Okay, so you're talking that's kind of equivalent value. I would, if they're going to move CJ, go get Ben Simmons. But I don't think Philadelphia is doing that deal. That's, that's okay. the thing. But that's then, then there's no but deal Houston then. might do the deal. Like they've said that they're on board for CJ, a piece, and. I've know, heard rumors also of a three-team deal involving Portland and Philadelphia being the most appetizing to the 76ers. Financially, that would make the most yes. sense for everybody, too, because really the 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 CJ plus the other contract thing is where things start to get sticky because you have to match that 25% of what Harden makes. Well, and now the Blazers lost a possible trade asset with Zach Collins going down with yet another injury. I mean, he's a guy Which, that... Are you pretty much done with the... I I I've, I was really really low on him when he got drafted. I hated the pick. Me too. Then I fell in love with him. Me too. I really liked what he was able to do. I just the, the little he reminded he's a little better skilled Myers Leonard. You know he'd get out there and he'd throw some elbows and get chippy and you know have the the Gucci looks or whatever. But um, I'm off. I'm, yeah. I'm sadly off, and it's just one more Blazers draft pick that's not going to be to ever live up to their potential due to injuries. Yeah, and I'm like. Once I like kind of gave up on him, I was like, you ever like break up with somebody and you feel just really good afterwards? Yeah. Like, I don't worry about that anymore. That's kind of how I feel. Where it's just like, let's build. Like I'd I'd rather have Harry Giles at this point. And well, I mean, and it's so we have. But I like, mean, Zach Collins is a piece now that you can possibly throw into one of these trades as a guy that's like, yeah, he's hurt this year. I mean, if you're tanking or something like that, and you just want a possible piece, um, I've heard some interesting potential with a deal with Charlotte in the works. Trying to send Zach and maybe get another point guard back. So Devonte Graham would be cool as a backup point guard. Yeah. That'd be nasty. Um, but then you're dealing Simons also. So there's just some yeah. things to think about there, and they they really wanted Gary Trent too. So I, the, I mean, we could talk Blazers all day long here. But yeah, I, I think I'm totally off Zach Collins. Um, Chris Boucher is a guy I'd love to see in a Blazers uniform. That'd be cool. But yeah, what they're able to do there with the Raptors is going to really depend upon that what deal they make. I think they're going to make a deal. What deal are they going to make? So let's let's jump into our last guy here, Mr. Bulbul. Bulbul was 12% owned, 452nd overall. He is now only 4% owned and 375th. 1.26 fancy points. Yeah, he's just not getting the minutes. I mean, you you hoped that with Plum Dog Millionaire gone, he would have a chance to step in a little bit more. But, I mean, MVP Jokic is a real thing. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to be in the conversation. I mean, he's been in the conversation the last couple of Should years. Should have been more in the conversation. I think people are really coming around to just appreciating his, his skill set. He's now mainstream. 
He yeah, used to be like a basketball fun. nerd guy. Now yeah. he's like a mainstream uh, talent. And well, it's yeah. hard to say his name. So I mean, unless you're Luca, you know, it's hard for <laughs> it's hard for the American public to get behind a guy that they can't even say his yeah, name. Yeah, people are just calling him the Joker for the first. Jokic, Joe Kick. Uh, like, how do I say? His name? Yeah, Bol Bol was like I. I mean, I used my last pick in our fantasy draft to take Bol, and he was just sitting there on my little like watch list the whole waiting, time. So I was waiting. waiting for somebody. Yeah, I thought like we talked about before, super duper high ceiling, super duper low floor. Well. His floor is about 1.26 fantasy <laughs> points a game. Uh, he is the the floor is the basement right now. So, oh, I like that. I like what um, you did there. I like what you did there. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna I, be tough. It's gonna be tough for him to get minutes. It's gonna be tough for him to really find his way in the NBA. And this is, I mean, if you want to go back and watch maybe our our best content ever, go back and watch our Jaff coverage of the night that he got taken. We went into him very very in depth where. It was always like this. It was mm-hmm. always going to be, you know, incredible or... And he's a he's a super-duper versatile big mm-hmm. on the team with the most super-versatile bigs in the NBA. Yeah, I thought maybe losing Grant and Plum Dog, they'd have a chance to get him out there a little bit more, but they just... They don't seem inclined... MJP. Yeah. Well, yeah, MPJ, yeah. He's, MPJ, he's yeah. really playing well now. He's... I mean... The, some of the horror stories you heard about GMs talking about his, you know, medicals. And, I mean, some of the guys, they said that they were the worst medicals he's, that they've ever seen. So I, I want to see that kid succeed. He was really fun to watch in high school. He's been really fun to watch. I mean, I don't enjoy rooting for him on the Nuggets. He was really fun to watch in Colt. Oh, wait. No. No, no he wasn't. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. <laughs> um, so, I mean, his his upside has definitely, you know, overtaken Bull Bull. And he just he can do a little bit more for them. But... He's another guy that's probably going to need a move to really give have any kind of a chance. Yeah, but I I just think that any minutes Bulbul would have gotten have kind of been siphoned into the Michael Porter Jr. He's definitely like an NBA league pass alert guy. You know, yeah, anytime yeah. he gets on there, just like a taco fall, like oh jump on, I watch him play. Every, every time he plays, he's like trending on Twitter. Oh, the Bulbulasans. Like, yeah, all he has to do is like get a rebound and people lose yeah, their minds. The so. Bulbulasans is real. So. I think that's pretty much everything we've got for you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this week. Always appreciate you listening and hanging out with us here and talking some ducks and all these other shenanigans. Anything else from you, Shane? I'm all good, bro. Um, goodbye, 2020. You know, oh, it is yeah. New Year's Eve. Um, goodbye, but be careful. 2020 is about to become bar legal, ladies and gentlemen, so things could get a lot weirder this year. So just just hang on to yourselves. Wear your masks. Let, let's head into this AV phase, after-vaccine phase. And uh, hopefully, uh, brighter times ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think we uh, the the brunt of all of this, like starting, was like the the worst part. Uh, the new year's not going to change anything really, but at least we don't have the start of COVID. Again. Well, yeah, exactly. We'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> Be safe out there, people. Take care of yourselves. Thank you. We love you. We out. Peace. I gave my love a cherry. That had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I give. Sorry. You know you make me wanna take my